welcome back to Grid Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by the entire collective, the disciple, Brett Colson, Donnie, D.P. Peters, and the resident moose himself, Mo Nuwara. Mo, once again, globetrotting during last week's episode, visiting Barcelona. Mo, how was Catalonia? Was that your first venture into Spain, or had you been there previously? No, that was first time. Uh, I got out on the city a few times. I enjoyed it. I also had uh, too many IPAs the last night and have not been feeling too good ever since. So we're trying to recover now at home. IPAs in Barcelona? That's a thing? Yeah, I should have drank more wine and less IPAs probably. (laughs) Wine is the play there, right? It seems like it. Uh, did you see, what did you see? Anything cool? I'm assuming you went to the Gaudi castle. It's been in construction for the last millennium. Anything yeah, cool? I, I did. Honestly, it just didn't do it for me. Uh, wow, strong take. I did, yeah, I didn't go inside though. I just walked around the outside and uh, it's just like almost, it's too much. <laughs> it's like you walk around and then there's these different sections that some of them don't even look like they belong to the same building. It's just, it's just insane. I mean. I, I, I kind of prefer the super uh, old, like, history steeped, you know, ones that have been just sitting there the same for 500 years. To me, that's just a little cooler. Sure. Uh, Brett, it looks like it's just, unless you've, have you been to Bars, Barca, Brett? Is it just you and I that have just been left off the boat? No, I was there a few a few months ago. God damn it, I hate all of you. <laughs> I blame I blame Donnie, Donnie the schedule maker. Donnie's been screwing Mo for years. He screwed screwed me with this one. Oh yeah, Donnie hates his. I mean, <laughs> he loves the the scrubs and he hates the the stars. He's he's like the Bo Pelini of uh of uh poker uh management. No, I'm like the Bill Belichick. I don't I don't roster stars. I roster guys that are just workhorses, yeah, little grunts right. running around. As, as soon as we we hit value and it's it's contract time, we just get cut. It's pretty brutal. You can sign by the Lions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Traded to the Browns. Yep. Shout out to Jamie Collins. This is the wide receiver show where we will discuss wide receivers. Um, if you guys, I don't know how you guys did your analysis. If you did PPR or standard, you can address both if you wish. Uh, I'm probably going to lean more on the PPR side because it's becoming more and more popular. Believe it or not, standard. Uh, non-PPR is still the most popular format, although ESPN seems to be wanting to change that themselves. Their new standard option, in air quotes there, is PPR when you create a league on ESPN. Of course, uh, DraftKings is PPR. FanDuel half PPR? Um, Did I get that right, Brett? Yeah, half PPR. So PPR is, while not there yet, it is currently becoming the norm so if you guys have standard brett modani go ahead and give that advice if you have ppr give that advice but just couch it uh whenever you bring it up but before we get into the nitty gritty guys there's only 10 days left to get registered for the las vegas super contest and if you reside outside of nevada don't worry with help from our friends at footballcontest.com all you have to do is register in person with a member of their team and you too can submit your picks each week from home, just over email. That's right. No more sitting on the sidelines and watching the collective have all of the fun. You too can compete for the $1 million top prize. Head to footballcontest.com 
for more info. That's footballcontest.com. General strategy this year. That's This is how we'll start the show. Last year was the year of draft wide receiver early in PPR formats. According to Fantasy Football Calculator, the 2016 top of the draft class, first three picks were wide receivers, and five of the top seven picks were wide receivers. Even in standard, three of the four top picks were wide receivers. Of course, uh, the big tier, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and Odell Beckham Jr. We're seeing a little bit of a shift this season. Those three are still going in the middle of the first round, but you've got DJ and Le'Veon Bell at the top of the draft, and save for his uh, alleged domestic violence issues and pending suspension, Ezekiel Elliott would likely be that number three pick. But because people got burned by the DeAndre Hopkinsons and Allen Robinsons of the world, and to the same extent, A.J. Green, although that was an injury as opposed to poor play, People are reverting back to running backs early. And I'll turn to Brett first. What is your general wide receiver strategy this year? Has it changed because of uh, the recent past? Or is it the same? Are you not moving as violently as the market? What are you doing, Brett? Well, first of all, going back to last year, if you drafted Allen Robinson in the first round, you deserved all the pain and suffering that you got (laughs) because that was idiotic. Uh, my, my strategy really depends on the flow of the draft, whether it's snake or auction. I don't really go in with a set plan. I try to adapt to what happens. Uh, now there are definitely guys who I have my eye on as potential values based on their ADP going into the draft. But I mean, across a number of different fantasy football leagues, I could have shares of several different players, depending on, uh, where I end up in the draft order or I mean what falls to me or in auctions what value I can get so uh, where I have a set plan at quarterback going into the season my strategy at wide receiver is very fluid what about you Mo you talked about kind of readjusting just like Brett said uh, reacting to the market and then trying to find inefficiencies that way in the in the first round this year uh, do you think that because people are now pulling back on wide receiver, there might be opportunities in the first round? What are your general thoughts, Mo? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting. I mean, unfortunately, I do think because there is more value on wide receivers in the middle rounds because it's just nowadays uh, there's so many, you know, pretty much every offense has at least two viable wide receivers now. Many of them have three. So the position is so deep that you can get a ton of great values in the middle rounds. But I do think at the very, very top, it might be good to grab a stud wide receiver in the first round because people are just running back to running backs after everyone got torched last year. Uh, I was one of the people who got torched, took Hopkins fourth in a PPR league. That did not go well for me. Um, So... You know, just with how much teams pass nowadays, I I think if you grab one stud at the top and then try to fill in with running backs in like rounds two, three, and four, you can fill out the rest of your wide receiver spots in the middle rounds and be perfectly fine with it. Anything to add, DP? No, I'm pretty on board with that. I mean, I'm of the opinion that grab as many wide receivers as you humanly can. Every year, it just seems like, you know, there's a handful of new guys 
five or six of them that emerge and, and, you know, end up helping people win their leagues. So don't be afraid to, you know, have more wide receivers than you think you may need because there's just so many of them in the league uh, that are viable options, like Mo just said. Yeah, I keep finding myself in like the sixth. I did two drafts. My first two drafts this past weekend, one a traditional snake, the other an auction. And I found myself in the middle portions of both drafts, whether it be buying, you know, uh, cheap players in the auction or drafting players in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. And I'm looking at my draft sheet and I just like, I like love every receiver that's still left. It's amazing. And I've kind of formed this strategy where if I can get like, to most point, I, I it'd be nice to get a stud in those first in those early rounds. But in the middle to late rounds, if I can get five or six guys that I like and just platoon them based upon matchups, be just like how we are going to look at DFS during the season and identify certain stacks against certain poor defenses when teams play the Lions or the Saints or when a cornerback gets injured. I feel like I'm most comfortable doing that. There isn't. There aren't many receivers outside of that elite top tier where every week I'm just going to plug them into my lineup. I, I just I just feel like I'm going to be platooning guys based on matchup, kind of like quarterback, but obviously there's more of them, so you have to be more flexible and you need more of them on your bench. But I feel like in my wide receiver two spot this year, in a lot of my leagues, I'm gonna just going to be firing many different combinations throughout the season based upon matchup. Well, let me ask you this. How many wide receivers would you feel comfortable throwing in to your lineup regardless of matchup? Like how many are on that list? Uh, off the top of my head, probably like seven. Let me pull up the receiver That's list. It? Not a guy like Crabtree who you know is going to get targets regardless of matchup. That's true. And that's interesting because Crab's a player that, what is he? He's coming off the board as wide receiver. Do-do-do-do-do. I don't have it listed by receiver, but he's a mid fourth round pick. But like Kelvin Benjamin, are you just blindly starting him every week? Alshon Jeffrey, are you just blindly putting him in your lineup? Well, I'm the biggest Alshon apologist there is, so Uh-oh. I probably am. Uh oh. <laughs> it's uh CIMO over there. <laughs> I had no idea who was just talking. I was super confused. <laughs> Are we back? <laughs> you're, you're comedically back, which really is really all that matters. Um, but there's just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm selling it a little bit too short to Brett's point. Uh, now that I look at it, maybe more of the flex spot is where I'll be circulating more. But there's just guys in the middle rounds, uh, like Pierre Garcon. I I love his situation, and we'll get into value plays uh, right now, actually. But yeah, there's just so many players, especially in PPR, when just a bit of volume can really uh, increase your weekly output and, and help you out. So right, let's start with some value plays. Bert Minotti, lead us off. What you got? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Pierre Garçon because he's the first guy on my list here. I don't like the guy as a person. I think he's a giant douchebag, but love him as a wow. wide receiver three. Just, Come took, on, out, he just is. took out Pierre Garçon. <laughs> he is. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Sweep the leg. <laughs> I love him as a wide receiver three this year. And you can snag him in the, what, eighth round as the number one option in this 49ers offense under offensive wizard Kyle Shanahan, who does have history with Garcon going back to their days in Washington. This is a 49ers team that is going to be in a lot of negative game script this season. Garcon's going to get his targets, so I really like the floor he offers as a safe 
uh, wide receiver three or flex on fantasy teams this season. I think 140 targets is certainly within the range of outcomes, and that might put him in the top 15 in the league and that stat this season. So he's a great buy at his current ADP. And uh, rest in peace, Jeremy Curley's fantasy relevance. I was going to say, Goat Curley. Goat Curley. No, Goat Curley. What What is exciting for Goat Curley is a new regime came in, as Brett noted. Kyle Shanahan comes in, new GM, John Lynch, who is tied to the hip of Mr. Shanahan. They come in, and not only do they look at Jeremy Curley and think he's an asset worth keeping, they re-sign him to a bigger deal. Let's go, Goat Curley. I mean, all he does is just run good routes and catch football. So he is a role in a Kyle Shanahan offense, which is highly efficient, easy passes. It's so funny. This is just a quick side note, but we've been talking the last couple of days as a community about the Matthew Stafford contract and what Matt Ryan did the last couple of years. And it's not like those players got better, in my opinion. It's that the offensive coordinators, uh, in this case, Kyle Shanahan and Jim Bob Cooter in Detroit, created a more simplified offense with quicker routes that were well-designed and guys got open and shorter, easy throws. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's not going to make Hoyer's job difficult. He's going to allow him to make easy throws. And I think, to Brett's point, Garcon is in a great position to get a vast majority of those throws in an efficient, high-volume offense. So I love Garcon. I love him particularly in PPR. And his this ADP is ridiculous. His sixth round, end of the sixth round ADP, is delicious. He's going behind guys, these two guys, uh, that Brett are going to love, Adrian Peterson and Sammy Watkins. Lick your chops. And that is delicious value for Pierre Garcon. Who else you got, Brett? Uh, I got your boy. And, and staying on the negative game script theme here, New York Jets are looking at a ceiling of what, like five wins this year? They're also going to be slinging the rock late in games. And the question then becomes, uh, to whom will the rock be slung? I mean, Marshall and Decker are gone. Quincy Anunua out for the year, which leaves Robbie Anderson, Sharon Peak. Jalen Marshall, Ardarius Stewart. Who's going to be getting targets in this Jets offense this year? I like Anderson the most, and he currently has an ADP of 179. That means you can get the top passing option option in this offense in the 13th or 14th round for a team that has no, cho- no choice but to throw the rock late in games this year. Uh, Anderson, 78 targets last year in limited action. Should easily get that up to 100 this year. And, and a lot of those targets are going to be low percentage, but he's a big play guy. He can hit you with a, a a big play for a long touchdown. So while I like the floor of a guy like Pierre Garçon, I really like the ceiling for Robbie Anderson late in drafts. He could he could give you like sixth round, maybe even fifth round value uh, if he uh, if he does end up being that number one guy in this offense. He's certainly the only wide receiver on the team with a pulse. Sharon Peak is the other veteran of the group, if you can even call him that. Jalen Marshall will be serving a four-game suspension to kick off the season. And Robbie Anderson, he's, as an athlete, he's he's super interesting. Uh, he's a big guy in terms of height. He's 6'3", but he's 190, and I think that 190 listing is very generous. If that guy pushes 180 on the scale, I'd be impressed. Uh, but in terms of height, he's got a decent frame, and he can get down the field. Uh, he, he connected on a long play, a 50-yard uh, pass completion from men who just named the starter of the Jets, Josh McCown, 
a lot of negative game scripts uh, in the future for this team. Uh, not a lot of mouths to feed, to Brett's point. I think the other interesting option in this offense could be Ardarius Stewart. Uh, he's got the pedigree, as Mo would say. How many stars does this kid got, Mo? Uh, I can't remember if he was the five star or the high four star. It was him and then the other receiver. Yeah, he's five. Uh, one of them was five star. One of them was four. Yeah, he's so five he was, star. He was a top 50 uh, prospect, though. Five star Bama. So it's Bama skill position players are interesting because their production is always limited in that in that offense in college because they do so little. Uh, but he, he seems to have all the tools. It's just the learning curve coming into the league. Uh, the other guy is Chad Hansen. Uh, Cal guy, I believe he was four stars. He's more of a possession slot type, and I'm not just saying that because he's a smaller white guy. Uh, that's just kind of the role that he played at Cal, uh, catching short intermediate passes and making plays after the catch. I don't see him playing as much of a role in this team right away, but for you dynasty guys, he's somebody, somebody interesting maybe to stash, especially in a PPR, because he seems like somebody who could be one of those high-value guys or high-volume guys who could potentially be a future 70 catch guy not a lot of touchdown upside but just a lot of action but in terms of the Jets offense yeah Robbie Anderson is a guy to target late in drafts because there is nobody else to throw the ball to just be ready to cut bait immediately oh, when for sure when when Josh McCown gets hurt because when Hackenberg comes in nobody's getting anything past five yards right and and that's the thing about taking a guy like Robbie Anderson you take him in the, the double digit rounds right now he's going in the middle of the 12th so you're not investing a lot of equity into him cutting bait early in the season is uh is is not something that's going to pain you too much to do yeah uh, they're drafting him this is what's amazing is uh he's getting drafted right in front of a fake player uh four <laughs> spots in front of a fake player there's still a name called Kevin White that's getting drafted, but nobody <laughs> nobody has ever showed me that this is a real person. So, uh, yeah, if, if you got a choice between a fake player and, and something Robbie Anderson, I would go with uh, the real football player. All right, Mo, you're coming to us from an undisclosed location. You just gave away a mob boss to the CIA, and uh, that's why your voice is all modulated like that. Who are your value plays at wide receiver? I like Stefan Diggs a lot. He's last year he was the 14th ranked uh, receiver in terms of PPR points per game, but yet he's going off as the wide receiver 28 this year. Um, so I think that he could be a really really nice value. And he showed last year for most of the season he had a really nice floor too. But there's definitely upside there too. He's going behind. Sammy Watkins, who has a dude who doesn't know which way the sun rises throwing him the ball. Um, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Tyreek Hill's going well ahead of him. I don't see that being a thing either as far as where Tyreek's. I mean, yeah, you know, he's exciting, but, you know, there's no way he should be going ahead of Stefan Diggs. And, I mean, it's only five spots, but I think – it's clear cut. I'd rather have Diggs than Tyreek Hill. I mean, he had some big games, but I just, uh, he's not as reliable as Diggs. And he's still not going to get pushed by any anyone in that offense for targets. And, you know, with a rookie running back, that, that could take up some of the volume. But uh, it was, it was, still wasn't a good offense last year. So I'm not too worried about the quality of the offense. He showed he can produce. 
you're you're more the unprofessional guy than I, so I'll follow up with this. You said that we shouldn't be worried. Uh, I'm not too worried about a guy like Adam Thielen. I think he'll still get his. I mean, he had decent production last year in that offense, and it looks as if uh, Diggs is going to move outside and Thielen's going to move more inside. So even if Thielen gets his 70 and 1,000, which he basically got last year, 69, 960, and five touchdowns, that's fine. Uh, are we not worried about Laquan Treadwell becoming a thing? I was listening to everybody last year, especially in the dynasty community, him coming out of Ole Miss, like he was going to just come in and just destroy the world. We're, we're not worried about him taking the next step and eating into any volume here. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with him. I, I was one of the people that was a little bit excited about him. I mean, you want to talk about a guy with a pedigree. He was extremely highly rated recruit, uh, highly productive college career. But I don't know. It just doesn't seem like he has the tools, I guess. He seems like more of a a solid like possession type of guy, whereas you know, Diggs is explosive, but also showed he can rack up the PPR volume. You know, he reminds me a little bit of like a Keenan Allen type of guy. And uh, we've seen the upside that Keenan Allen has and Diggs is that type of talent and that type of player. So, I mean, it was crazy when how little Treadwell did was honestly a little bit shocking to me. But so, I mean, if if they didn't like what he was bringing to the table at all last year, it's hard to see him getting too much of a role. As Mo mentioned, Diggs going after uh, Tyreek Hill and uh, Sammy Watkins. and also uh, in that area, we've got Golden Tate, Martavis Bryant, Larry Fitzgerald, C.J. Anderson, Doug Martin going directly before him. Doug Martin, of course, serving that three-game suspension to start the season. Any other value plays you got, Mo? Another interesting guy I like. I know you, you're you going to be with me on this one, Rich, because you know we love Tyrell Williams. Something Tyrell Williams, man. He was He was a stud for us last year. He's going next to defenses and kickers as wide receiver 42 and ninth rounder. Uh, I mean, in terms of last year per game, he was like right next to Des Bryant. Uh, And well ahead of guys like A-Rob, Tyreek, Nuke. And those guys are all going way, way before Tyrell. I mean, he's a just a distant thought. And... I could, uh, he's way worth a flyer where he's going, uh, especially with Keenan Allen uh, coming off, man, a second major injury. Love that guy's game, but it's just, you don't, you have to be really skeptical. You don't know what you're going to get out of him, especially such a speed-based guy. Uh, I mean, it's possible that Tyrell is wide receiver one in that offense. I mean, if you were to go into the lab and create the prototype wide receiver, the person would come out looking something like Tyrell Williams, 6'4", 200 pounds. Uh, Tyrell the Gazelle is a great uh, nickname for him because when he gets into the open field, his strides are long. Uh, he's very, very fast. He's got good hands. But my question here, I love Tyrell. Obviously, I love his his ADP, as you mentioned. He's going with the last pick in the eighth round in PPR leagues. Aren't you afraid of Philip Rivers? Haven't you been banging the fade Philip train this offseason? Oh, I'm very afraid. I am very afraid. But I still think, you know, like uh, you guys were saying about Robbie Anderson, I mean, this is obviously a little higher, but you're still not really risking anything when he's getting picked by defenses and kickers. So, I mean, if he it doesn't turn out to be worth much, as long as you follow the Rich Ryan strategy of, 
grab five, you know, PPR potential guys and just see which poop sticks against the wall. It's not going to be that big of a deal. <laughs> All right, DP, you're up. What you got at value at wide receiver? I really liked uh, Stefan Diggs, um, but I'll pass on giving all my speech because Mo just gave a, a you know pretty much everything that I agree with. Uh, Devontae Parker for the Dolphins. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's the best wide receiver on that team, uh, not Jarvis Landry. Um, you know, a lot of people are worried about Jay Cutler being quarterback, but I think, you know, there's, there's one play that, uh, was shown in, in preseason where Jay Cutler did the Jay Cutler thing and just kind of hooked it up on the outside and Devonte, being the beast that he is just went up and got it and ended up running down, to, you know, inside the five yard line it was like 60 yard bomb and ended up being whatever. But, uh, I think Devonte is going to benefit from the wild, wild west throwing nature of Jay Cutler. Um, you know, I, I don't think someone like a Jarvis Landry is going to benefit from Jay Cutler. I think that we're going to see a ton of production this year out of Devontae Parker. So he's the uh, number one on my list. And then, uh, second to him, I got to go to the well, the, uh, be a homer a bit, but I really like Chris Hogan this year. Um, I mean, the new England's the team I follow the most. You guys know that everyone knows that, uh, in terms of the Julian Edelman injury, Hogan's the guy, you know, all reports are that he's going to step in, move into the slot and pick up the slack for Hogan. So, you know, with the, with the way that New England, you know, moves the ball around, throws it every which way, I, I really do like Hogan. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned with uh, the reports I'm seeing on Cooks. I think he'll be good in the offense, but uh, not so much dink and dunk as opposed to a deeper threat down the field. See, I don't, I don't understand why people have just associated Cooks with only going down the field. Like, are the routes that Julian Edelman ran difficult? Like, is it hard to run a two-yard drag route? No, but I don't think a lot of players are willing to do it, number one. I think, I mean, you talk about it all the time in our Skype chat about how Julian's had 95,000 concussions. I mean, he has. I don't think Cooks. So it's not that I don't think Cooks can do that. I just, the you know, I think a lot of people think that he can do that. A lot of people that know football think that, you know, they've seen his route tree both coming out of college, um, you know, after that. And a lot of people say that uh, the Saints used him in the wrong way. Um, the way it looks right now from everything that I can tell and read and hear coming out of Patriots camp is they're just simply not using him in that role. So I don't think it's that he can't do it. It's more so that they're just not using him in that role. And now uh, it seems like Hogan's a better fit for the role of Edelman and then Cooks is a better fit on the outside. I'd like to get uh, Mo and Brett's opinion on the Edelman injury and how it affects the Patriots offense. But Honestly, I think the only people that are going to see a benefit from the injury are Cooks and Gronk, because I don't think we should draft them higher than they've been going, but I think we can be more comfortable drafting them at their current ADP, because all of a sudden there's 100-plus targets that are no longer going to Edelman. I saw a great stat this morning from Mike Clay of ESPN, so in times where Hogan was on the field for 83% of Patriots pass plays so even if he sees an increase I mean how much more can you get than 83% of pass plays he was wide receiver 60 last year so I don't even think one I don't think there's even room for a big increase in snaps for Hogan and two even if there is I don't think he's a good enough player to uh, take advantage of that so I honestly think that Cooks and Gronk get the largest boost from the Edelman injury Uh, Brett where do you weigh in on this yeah, it's funny. I was higher on Hogan before the Edelman injury because now everyone's got an eye on him, and I'm I have no interest in where he's going in in drafts anymore. 
it, it's it doesn't seem like he's gonna be the guy who's gonna be filling in that Edelman role. And with Edelman, you you know, you said can't anyone run these routes? I don't think so. It's more of an art what Edelman does. He knows what he can get away with, uh, and he's brilliant at it. And it's just to have a guy come in and be able to do what he does is is asking a lot. I think Hogan's a great fit for this system, but is he going to replace Edelman? I don't think there is a replacement for Edelman. So I I really have no idea what to expect as, as far as where these targets are going to go. I think you're going to see an uptick for for Cooks. You're going to see an uptick for, for all these guys because there's 160 targets to go around that Edelman had last year. But yeah, I, I don't really. I think where where Hogan has bumped up to in his ADP, I don't really want anything to do with that. Mo, where are you at in the post Edelman world? What about maybe more targets for a guy like James White? Yeah, that too. Deion Lewis, like I could see them running out more backs. Rex Burkhead, uh, heart of a Husker, because it sounds like Malcolm Mitchell is having trouble getting healthy. So I don't really think you can really roll the dice on him right now. Danny Amendola, that guy's made of glass. I just, I don't even, I'm with you, Rich. I I think uh, Gronk is a big one for me. I think he's just going to have a monster set of targets. I mean, Hogan, you know, people might, I think kind of get stereotype him because, you know, just like kind of a smaller white dude, but he's showed that he can do some damage deep late last year. He had a lot of, a lot of big plays, actually. So I don't think he's as pigeonholed into that role as a lot of people think either. Yeah, Hogan Just wins. Like said. Hogan wins like 15 yards down the field. Like that's where he beats guys uh, on those posts and goes. What's What's really interesting about the Pats, just to keep it here and wrap wrap a bow on the subject, is they play two. They play uh, 21 personnel so much. Two receivers, two tight ends. But and Donnie, correct me if I'm wrong. You've got the pulse of the beat right now in New England. It seems like Dwayne Allen's not picking this thing up too quickly. He might be gone. Like what do they do with these two tight end sets when they don't have a second tight end? Yeah. I mean, you haven't heard much at all really about Dwayne Allen other than he's done. All right. When asked to come in and pass block, which, okay, that's great, but I don't really know what that's going to do. I think, I think this year out of new England, you're going to see a lot of uh, two running back sets. And also, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow on the running backs podcast, but, uh, I mean, Rex Burkhead now, value goes way up as far as I'm concerned. He's the other guy that I think the Edelman injury affects, and you're going to see him a lot in the slot. So I think you might even see less, uh, you know, less two tight end sets uh, with, with someone like Allen, uh, you know, beside Gronk and, and more two running back sets for New England this year. All right, I'm going to get a value play in real quick because we started this pod late. Uh, Kendall Wright, my, I had a heartthrob last year in Jeremy Curley. I told you guys he's going to lead the league. In receptions, he did not do that, but I won a lot of pizzas when he led the 49ers in receptions. I think with the injury to Cameron Meredith, a gruesome, disgusting injury in Chicago, I think Kendall Wright has an opportunity to lead that team in targets. I don't think that's too crazy. I've always loved the player. I think he wins in a lot of different areas. I think he's got great hands, great speed. They're going to be down a lot, and... They're going to have to give Mitch Trubisky some easier throws on those rollouts and drags, and I think Kendall Wright is the exact guy to run those routes and kind of get the volume in that those easy types of throws. So with your last pick in a PPR, take Kendall Wright. If he doesn't get any looks in the first couple weeks, cut him. 
If he does, then you can laugh and call yourself a genius in front of your friends. Yes, well, definitely do that. Yeah, and it says here that uh, the top Bears wide receiver that's getting drafted is a fake player. So I definitely think <laughs> value on Kendall Wright. Uh, there's also, and I don't, I don't, I'm not too into these types of narratives, um, but uh, the offensive coordinator for the Bears, uh, Dole Logans, totally screwed that up. He was the OC in Tennessee when Kendall Wright had his most productive seasons. Draw a line, if you may. Uh, but there's something to be said about that as well. Which yeah, I didn't know that. That is that's interesting. I like him even, even more now. I think he's a great play uh, as a flex, a, a safe floor. I think the targets are going to be there. Yeah, and he's. I mean, I don't think he's being drafted right now. I just control F Kendall in a fantasy football calculator, and I got that beep. I'll I'll do it again so you guys know. There you go. He's not he's not being selected in twelve team PPRs right now. So. Take him with your last pick and laugh all the way to the bank. All right, we're going to get to some fades, but f- before we do that, we have to step into the Blue Apron Kitchen, guys. We talked about the miso ramen on here a couple weeks ago. Well, I got it. I put a picture on Twitter, and I smashed it. It was delicious. And if you want fresh ingredients delivered right to your door with instructions on how to cook them, Give Blue, Apron, give Blue Apron a try, and you can sign up with us. You can support the collective and your stomach at the same time by going to blueapron.com slash gridirongamble. That's blueapron.com slash gridirongamble. I also got the steak from there. Had that for lunch yesterday. It's pretty dope. It's pretty amazing that things can just be shipped to your door with instructions, and you just read them and make delicious food. Amazing stuff. All right, let's get to some fades. We'll go in inverse order. We'll go to Donnie first. Which receivers, and we got to do this little lightning roundish because we got to go to work. Which receivers are you looking to fade this year? Uh, T.Y. Hilton and anyone else on the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I mean, does that guy have a quarterback? And if he has a quarterback, does that quarterback have an offensive line? I mean, that that organization is an absolute dumpster fire. I'm avoiding everything like it's the plague. Uh, next up, Des Bryant. This could be a personal thing, but I feel like Des is getting increasingly overrated. Um, I, I think Dak is overrated. Uh, so Dak without Zeke just seems like a disaster. So I'm going to be also avoiding uh, Des Bryant. And then uh, I think I'm going to avoid the wide receivers that come out of the New Orleans Saints offenses and, uh, or sorry, the New Orleans Saints and the Baltimore Ravens offenses. Um, I think you're going to see a pretty big regression from those two uh, passing offenses uh, with Drew Brees and also with Joe Flacco, if Joe Flacco can get his back right. So that's uh, that's who I'm avoiding. T.Y. Hilton has slipped to the beginning of the third round, and honestly, I don't think that slip is far enough. <laughs> I mean, what value does he have if something Scott Tolzien is throwing footballs to him? Is there a point in the draft where any of you guys are interested in taking T.Y. Hilton? Yeah, I think it's it's important to monitor this uh, going into the next week because I think he's slipping into the fourth round in some drafts if people are just giving up. And a lot of people are giving up on this situation. So I think there is some value there, maybe late in the fourth, early in the fifth. But if you go back to Hilton's last 10 games without luck, 41 catches for 630 and two touchdowns. There's no value in this guy unless luck is throwing him the football. So... 
Uh, yeah, it, unless Hilton drops to me in the fifth, I'm going to pass. Yeah, disastrous. And But I, I'm going to disagree on Dez. Dez is like the most elite red zone receiver we've ever seen from an efficiency standpoint. I mean, in, even in a bad year last year with a rookie quarterback who refused to throw the ball more than two yards, he found the end zone eight times. So I, I will not take any Dez slander on my podcast. Yeah, I'm with you, Rich. Give me Dez. Yeah, that Give me Dez. There's nobody else there. Elite AF. I like him this year, too. Suck it, Donnie. All right, Mo, give us some fades. Well, you guys already know one. It's Demarius Thomas. This guy is terrible. You hate Demarius so much. 28th overall in PPR right now. No thank you. That putrid offense, Trevor Simeon. And then, guys, as bad as things were last year with Trevor Simeon, where... You know, Demarius, his production was behind, obviously, the better receiver, Manny Sanders, who's just way better and has always been better. And for some reason, people keep drafting Demarius way ahead of him. Imagine what happens if if uh, if uh, Paxton Lynch takes the job, guys. It's going to be ugly. I definitely agree with you that I prefer Sanders at his value. He's going with the 11th pick in the sixth round, whereas Demarius is going with the eighth pick in the third round. So I'm all about that Sanders life. But I think people out there should be wary about fading the Denver receivers because both of these guys, they've had pretty bad quarterback play outside of a couple Peyton Manning seasons. And despite all that, the past two seasons when they've had the corpse of Peyton Manning, uh, Brock Osweiler, and something Trevor Simeon throwing to them. They just walk out on the field, and they're both like 1,007. 90, 1,007. They just walk on the field, and they get it. So I, I can see not liking Demarius because of that third-round ADP. But guys, do not fade, intentionally at least, do not fade Manny Sanders in the late sixth because that guy's a walking 1,007. Like, he's just Manny's super my productive. Guy, so. uh, Brett, what you got for fades? Yeah, I've got T.Y. Hilton here. Uh, I've talked the last couple weeks about the Washington Redskins offense. I want nothing to do with Terrell Pryor this year either, uh, although I do love my boy Jamison Crowder. Uh, definitely going to give him some looks, although I don't love his ADP, but uh, no Terrell Pryor for me. And the guy I have listed here is Odell Beckham with a wow. bunch of question marks going into the season. The first, the injury, uh, sprained ankle sustained last week. Ben McAdoo says he's hopeful that OBJ is ready for week one. Not a lot of confidence in that statement. Probably will be ready. Maybe miss a week or two. Don't love that at all. At number two, the target distribution in New York. There's so many weapons in this offense right now. Sterling Shepard, I think, is a rising star. I loved him coming out of Oklahoma. They signed Brandon Marshall in the offseason. They even drafted Evan Ingram, who was a pretty good receiver slash tight end at Ole Miss. Odell, 180 targets last year, which ranked third in the NFL, but they didn't sign Marshall as a decoy. He's going to get a lot of targets. I just don't see any way... Beckham matches the target number he had last year. And that's a big concern if you want to spend uh, a lot of draft capital on him this year. Uh, again, the schedule for the Giants and this entire NFC East is is tough. The Giants face the seventh toughest strength of schedule for past defense efficiency, according to Warren Sharp. It's, it's not ideal. If you're looking for wide receivers with a plus matchup every week, it's going to be tough on Beckham. Uh, and I, going back to last year, I, I hated the way 
Beckham was used in this offense. They rarely used him in the slot where he can, you know, get free and, and have some space to work with. If they do change the way he's used this year, I like him a little bit more. But for the most part, even though his his ADP has dropped a little bit, I'm I'm pretty much off Odell Beckham this year. So you're sitting which with, is scary. You're sitting with the fifth pick, let's call it. David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Julio go off the board. Brett Colson selects. Uh, definitely not Beckham. It's it's going to be probably McCoy or Gordon. Shady. Not worried about Shady? Don't like Devontae Freeman? No. I, I, I kind of like Gordon. I just love that Chargers offense this year. I think, uh, and I'm not a big Gordon guy, but I, I, I like Gordon a lot this year. I would definitely take him over Beckham. I'm going to keep my fade in the first round as well. And it's going to be Mike Evans. Love Mike Evans. Again, prototype 6'5", 230, absolute freak of nature, wide receiver. But if you believe in the narrative that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to take this next step and be the team that everybody thinks that they're going to be, then look for reduced production from Mr. Evans. At the beginning of the season, when the Bucs were struggling, they opened out with a three and two, uh, two and three, uh, two and three record, excuse me. Evans was killing it, and he was averaging 13, 14 targets per game. But when the team turned it around, when they started winning football games and they started trying to protect the ball, uh, middle of the season here, when they go on a five-game winning streak, here are the target totals for Mike Evans. Five, then he goes 13 and 11, and then six, eight, eight, eight in those games. If we believe that the Bucks are going to be better, if we like the addition of Deshaun Jackson, who will take targets away from Mike Evans, then I think that we can see reduced production out of Mike Evans, which in a game of numbers, a volume-based game, I cannot use a middle-of-the-first or late-first-round pick on a guy like that. I can't do it. So I'm going to take A.J. Green, who is the clear-cut wide receiver in that offense with very little competition to save for a speedy rookie and a second round pick from last year that nobody seems to be too excited about. Uh, And Jordy Nelson, who plays with the greatest quarterback of all time in one of the most high volume offenses in the world. So I will not be taking Mike Evans this season. Unfortunately, like the kid too. I think he's woke AF and I've enjoyed him on hard knocks, but I don't like his value this season. How about Amari Cooper, too? That's another name I would throw out there. This guy, he's behind Crabtree in volume, like Brett had said earlier. And I think, you know, maybe this is just what he is. I mean, people are just waiting for this guy to blow up, drafting him high. But maybe he's just an above-average wide receiver, and he's just not a stud. Uh, He's getting drafted like a stud. My fear in that is, is it just touchdown variance? Is that the only thing that's limiting Amari Cooper? He's the one that gets the touchdowns a lot of times, though. No, He's no, not the no, one that gets no, the volume. No, 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 no. Crabtree is the touchdown guy. Crabtree is the guy who has seemingly won in the red zone among the two. And maybe that's a skill. Maybe that's something that, like Des Bryant, maybe that's something that Crabtree has that most people cannot attain. Just this ability to get open and make plays closer to the end zone. Uh, Cooper's so young, man. He just turned 23. He's just going to get better. Like his his productivity arc is 
just going to increase. So I'm I'm fine with where he's going. Crabtree, 89 catches, 145 targets last year. Cooper, 82 catches, 131. So he's just getting he's getting more volume. I mean, and and Cooper gets more per catch, but you know, I I just seems like he's having a really hard time unseating the veteran there. For sure. And man, Crabtree, what a weird career. Like super weird career arc. <laughs> like the, the weirdest. And he's only uh, I guess he turns 30 this year. But man, I just remember and again, I'm not the biggest unprofessed guy, but I just remember him at Tech just fucking clowning on people. Uh and then just it never clicked in San Fran as much as it seemingly should have and then he goes to the Raiders and just shits on everybody again. Post post hype sleeper. Yeah, for sure. And those are the wide receivers. We're going to come back tomorrow and talk about running backs. So stay tuned to your feed. Follow these guys on Twitter. We've got at Brett Colson, C-O-L-L-S-O-N, at Mo Nawara, N-U-W-W-A-R-A-H, and at Donnie underscore Peters. We didn't get any takes yet. I need, guys, I need your 10-second takes. All you have to do is call seven. Oh, my God. I got it. I got it. Don't worry, Donnie. I got it. 7244-GAMBLE. Okay, and it is not Larry Sanka. <laughs> it is not Larry. It's John Riggins. John Riggins wore forty-four, seven, two, four, four. Gamble. We really and Lee Suggs. Don't forget about Lee Suggs. What? What is Lee Suggs? Donnie just kept yelling. It's the Browns guy. <laughs> and nobody knew it. Lee Suggs. What recall? Was was Lee Suggs good? Dude, on my Madden team, he was legit. <laughs> Who was more lit? Uh, uh, him or uh, what was it, dude? Jamal Lewis? Dude, Jamal Lewis. Didn't he, didn't he run for 300 one game? I thought he had like two 200-yard games or something. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he shit on the Ravens for like 295. He set the record, didn't he? Yeah. That's pretty ridiculous. Uh, anyway. got, got shit on by Nebraska though in college. Heart of a Husker. Heart of a heart you, of a heart of a know. volunteer. Yeah, <laughs> volunteer, and he got wrecked by the Huskers. R.I.P. Huskers. <laughs> All right, that's enough. That's enough for this podcast. See you guys tomorrow. Uh, Gridiron Gamble, peace out. Happy drafting. Running backs tomorrow. Gridiron Gamble on Twitter. Peace out. out.